Welcome to Mac and Cheese Music Podcast with your hosts, Brian DeHart. Hey everybody, welcome back. A big round of applause for Sarah Pinzon. Sarah was last week's Mac and Cheese Music Podcast guest. Sarah sang on the movie Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey has just won the American Music Awards Best Soundtrack of the Year. Oh yeah. Way to go, Sarah. Wow. It's with great excitement and pleasure that this week's guest, Adam Puchalski, has come back onto the podcast. The dude abides. Have you ever been in the situation where you need to decide on the instrumentation of your current project? What did you say? Selecting the best instruments and creating the correct voicings can be totally frustrating. And while we're on the subject... Take it from me, I've spent countless hours pouring over mixes. Each song we discuss will have a short recorded example of the finished product. I'm pretty excited about this podcast. It gives us a chance to show off our wares. All right, take it away, Bruno. Donnie, you're out of your element. So uh, what uh, project are you working on right now? I just started uh, remaking a tune called Senseless. And I think that's the one you should be playing drums on soon. Oh, okay, cool. That's, so that's what that Americana style thing that you exactly, sent my way? Exactly. That's a really cool tune. Yeah, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's real straightforward rock. And it was, my first instinct was to make it, you know, a little harder edged classic rock type mm-hmm. of a tune. Yeah. But then I heard the original recording of it and it was more... More of a an up-tempo folk rock um, Americana, I think yeah. you called it. Yeah. And uh, well, it certainly is Americana. Yeah. And, and so I, just, I and, decided to just leave it, leave it oh, like and that, and just remake what was done. Just just a better version of what she recorded years ago. What kind of uh, options were you thinking about that? Here, pardon me. I'm gonna adjust that oh, yeah. mic for you a little more. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Now, ah. Ah, now you're gonna get the beautiful Adam voice. Yes. So, it, were you considering other options as far as the style of that song? Well, sort of. I was just, I was just looking at instrumentation, and it's like, do I want to go acoustic guitars for the rhythm, acoustic electric? Do I want to chunk it out rhythm style like a you know, like a ZZ Top tune or something. or <laughs> So I was experimenting with just different guitar sounds mainly just to f- decide what's, you know, which direction to take it in. Yeah. And then uh, after uh, after a, just a, a practice session with uh, Amy out at her house a couple weeks ago, I decided, you know, just leave it as is. Don't don't mess with it because it's, it's a cool song as it is and it feels good listening to the old version. Oh, yeah. It's like... Let's just do a better version of that style. Yeah, and just leave good. it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm not really changing much other than the instrumentation. I'm keeping the feel where it was, and I think Amy will be comfortable singing to that too. And she won't have to, you know, stray into a style different than what she wrote it on. Right. Know? If there was a new artist coming in to sing on it, I could probably get away with it a little bit mm-hmm. more. But she's already kind of. You know, she's grandfathered into it. It's her song. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Hey, uh, Brian and Mac and Cheese. Adam from windstudiomusic.com. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for listening to another podcast here at Mac and Cheese. Yeah, this, is, this is number 16, is Yeah, it not? number 16. That's right. Hey, Adam, what are we talking about today? Uh, today we're going to discuss uh, 
how do we approach different musical styles in the home studio? Sounds good to me, man. And uh, yeah, just uh, just a, a recent uh, project start in the studio just recently had me asking myself that exact question uh, when I started working on Senseless. Okay, yeah. But it was uh, it was the previous recording that you know made me just stay in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But usually, if I'm the producer engineer on a song and I like to start with just you know the chord progression the melody and that's it I mean you can put any feel you you can do you can just you can take that information you can turn it into a ballad you can do it into a metal song you can turn it into a country tune you can turn it into a blues song I mean there's you can do just about anything you want with a tune right with any tune you Mm -hmm. go lyrics a melody a chord progression Tear it up. As far as miking techniques or using different audio sources, what inspires you? Say, like, say, like, like, let's start with one of your original tunes. Yeah. What generally inspires you to decide upon your audio sources? I, I think it just depends on just that the just the general atmosphere. You know, just the. The soundscape I'm trying to put together. And I don't. I don't mean like you know lush, you know beautiful color soundscape on everything. I mean, if it's uh, you know, I mean if it's just kind of a chunky rock tune, then I want to I want to fill I want to fill that space with you know sharper sounding instruments or I, I'm I'm not sure how to describe it, but I'm always looking at how how to fill up the space and keep that feel going. You know what I think would really be cool? Why don't we talk about mommy? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, mommy is awesome. Tell the audience about mommy. Who's mommy? The the song that you did with your your nephew. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one. Yeah, that was I'm not sure that what what kind of style would you call that? Uh, I'm, um, I'm not uh, just maybe, sure uh, about that. It's just pop. Yeah, I guess I guess it would be uh, just pop. Kitty, kitty pop, maybe. I yeah. don't know. But it started with my nephew in the studio. Um, he's like three or four years old, and we were just playing with the things, and they just love to come in there. And I, I plugged in a mic, you know, got some cool effects going on it and everything, so they could shout into it and and have fun with their voice. But I hit record, so I got about. 10 or 12 minutes of uh, my nephew just playing around, just yelling into the mic and yelling at mommy and daddy in the other room and all this stuff. And I just, I just, I just laid down a groove and started chopping up the vocals and putting it in there, you know, after, cause I heard some phrases when I was listening to the thing. So I was just picking out some phrases from what the kid was doing. And, and then I figured out, oh, okay, he's, He's sort of in this key, so I kind of made a little groove around that, and then I started fine-tuning some of the little vocal parts that he did and turning it into a song. It's just, it's a pretty catchy little tune, actually. I'm not really sure how I decided how to approach it, but I think it's just because it's a bunch of little kids. I tried to keep it feeling like an adult got mixed in with some little kids. How did you tune his vocals? Oh, Melodyne. Was it Melodyne? Yeah, you Melodyne. were using four at the time, of course. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it wasn't the, 
the full version. It was just Melodyne Light at the time. But oh. for that, it was, I mean, it was, that's all that did was mm-hmm. just the vocals, and that's all, I mean, just fine-tuning the pitch and everything. Were you drag and dropping the balloon forms on the Melodyne program, or? No, actually, until this weekend, I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> I was, I was. The I new was version it. is really intuitive, man. I mean, I've worked with Melodyne three and four and five. It's like wow, the drag and drop capability on it now is incredible. It works yeah. really great. It never even it's occurred easier. to me to try that. I was just, I was just doing the right click you know, load method, but mm-hmm. which works just fine. Yeah. I'm going to later today, I'm going to try to the drag and drop down to a MIDI track thing because, Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've, I've done that trick too, where mm-hmm. I'll take a vocal track and I'll process it as a MIDI file and then have like a violin play unison with the vocals mm-hmm. way in the back or, or even just, uh, I used like a synth pad where it just, it was just barely triggering the notes, but just a, a really lush reverby background. Right. And you don't even notice it's there, but if you cut it out, it's just like, wow, where'd that where'd that wishy-washy world go? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool effect. I suggest you play around with it sometime. Well I, I wouldn't use it I, on everything, but there's uh, there's some places where turning a vocal track into a MIDI track can, you know, get some really unique results. So I'm a little So I'm a little bit behind the times and that kind of stuff, but I just recently picked up a little mini Akai keyboard. And here we are. We're digressing already, which yep. happens a we lot. We knew we were going <laughs> to. And, you know, that, this, this, this kind of USB technology has been going on for years and years. But I finally picked one up. And it was only like 150 bucks through Sweetwater. And this is one of the reasons why I bought it was 70, 70 bucks off. Yeah. And plus I got 24 months, same as cash. Oh. <laughs> there you go. So it's, it's almost free. It's, yeah, it's almost free. It's $5 a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great deal. But it's got, it's got the little drum pad on it, and I plugged it right. This is so great. So I've got a... I've got a, a, a um, a little interface that I just plug into my iPad Pro, 
and then and then I can power it power it in, put the USB connection on there, and instantly I can I can interface with GarageBand, and it I had to do nothing. Oh, I had to do nothing to even try to adjust the parameters. It just automatically, bam, syncs up, just like that. That's the way that they should all work these days. Yeah, well, it's 2020. Yeah, long. I know. Okay. It was 2019. They should have had all that stuff figured out last year. No one's <laughs> figuring anything out this year. But, uh, well, I don't even think it's new technology, but, but the thing is, it just came down in price. Those keyboards used to cost, like, even a couple of years ago, they were three or 400 bucks. Yeah. And now it's like 150 and it's like, geez. Yeah, Louise. and that's basically just a, it's almost like a, just a, a sample trigger station. Well, it is, but right. it, it's, it's only, what is that, a foot and a half? It's a foot yeah. and a half. I mean, little tiny keys. But you oh, can I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. things are great. Yeah. And it, I was just blown away. And it only took me like 20 minutes to throw together a little chord progression song ideas with drum parts and, and different washes. And and uh, I keyed in some guitar samples. And yeah. I was just like, wow, man, this is really cool. I could take this anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere with just my iPad. Now, what's... Now... Even though that was kind of a digression from what our topic was, it fits right in because that's right. That kind of technology available, I mean, that helps me a lot because right. you've heard you've heard me like at, at a band rehearsal we'll pull up like a like the Dwight Yoakam song and I say shit, let's just do it reggae style this time. I'm like, I'm always all for that. If, some, I'm all if for somebody that says, hey, you know, let's <laughs> hey let's take that Dwight Yoakam tune and do it like a fugue. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who cares? Just let's just do it. Yeah. But so, with the technology these days in the studio, if I'm thinking, God, I wonder if this would sound good as like a, you know, like a heavy funk tune. Uh, you know, within a half an hour, I could bang out something that's, you know, representative of that idea for this particular song to see if it works or not. See right. if, see if there's any if see if there's anything there, you know. It's like it's like kissing a stranger on the street. Is there magic or not? <laughs> well, I, I don't, don't even know what that I means. I don't do that anymore. If you, if you know what that means, <laughs> then you should probably go see, see a priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, interesting that you bring that up. So back in my iPhone 5 days, I got one of the... I'm not sure it was one of the first incarnations of GarageBand, but it might have been... And I would be riding the bus into work, and I came up with this chord progression, which is probably, it's like, it's a one, five, four, four, six progression, right? Yeah. And started messing around with it, and, I, and then I came up with a chorus based on the same chords. And at the band that I was playing with at the time, I said, hey, Thaddeus, uh, uh, Thaddeus Wilson, who's great, great, incredible artist. The guy's an artist. Asked him to be on the podcast. He's kind of staying away from it. One of these days, maybe we'll get him on there. Yeah, get in this here. guy is genius. He's just another one of my friends who's smarter than me, kind of like Adam. I just I try to hang around with people who are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> just It helps. It helps, helps the solace of my soul. It helps me feel good about myself, too, <laughs> being around not quite so smart people. Yeah. No, and, I'm kidding. And so what I did then is 
Thaddeus came up with these lyrics and the a melody line. And so uh, that was just based off the garage band track. And so then I kind of cut and paste things together a little bit, used like four different tracks off a of garage band. And this is where the ability to have high end preamps makes a big difference. I used my Empirical Labs Fatso Jr. as the preamp. So I just took a took an eighth inch cord, did the stereo out on it, plugged it into both channels of the Empirical Labs. And then I ended up with not garage band quality sound, but high end, really warm sounding inputs into uh, yeah. the recording. Uh, so those back, they're all, they're all backing tracks, everything I did with, I, uh, with the iPhone. And then we put on real drums, I mean, live drums, live bass, uh, live guitar tracks on top of that. And so you'll, you'll hear the cut, you'll hear what I did, but the, the little backing keyboard tracks in the background, that's all off the, off a of garage band, which goes case in point, whatever tools that you have and it works, doesn't matter if it works, it it's works. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've had stuff where I've recorded, you know, sounds or, uh, a musical idea or whatever just on my phone just to just to save the idea and I'll, I'll try to find an example but there's one example I actually used a clip off the phone in a song I can't remember which one it is I'll find it though and I'll mm -hmm. send it to you but it was that's just another example it's just like this is the sound I need there it is yeah well the the whole thing about this song is that it's it's basically a pop song. It's kind of in the genre of Bruno Mars. I'm being this. I'm trying to pump up it, pump it up, make it sound like it's better than it is. But it is kind of in that genre. And yeah. so actually, the parts off the uh, off a of GarageBand and the iPhone were definitely appropriate and sync right in. Yeah. Now, not every song that's written that I've written is based on that, but that's what that one was. Yeah, and that works perfect and if you um decided this hey this is going to be more of a country type ballad you would have been in a completely different section of garage band looking for sounds if that's where you were working i would have never used any of the drum loops off of garage band for that even yeah. even at, at, at any level uh i would have if i was doing a country thing and i was going to do brush work guess what man hook up the microphones yep. you know mic the top and bottom of the snare and get and get as a live acoustic warm feeling and nuance as I possibly could. Yeah. The digitizing thing doesn't work too well with that stuff. No. And that's, that has a lot to do with it with me too is, I mean, once I, once I decide, okay, well, I might not even decide, but I'm just considering different approaches to a song. Probably one of the first things that happens is I'll start going through the guitars on the wall. You know, <laughs> I think, God, do I want to really, you know, do I want a really beefy Strat type sound, or do I want just some good meaty humbucker sounding guitar right. parts? By or... the way, Adam has an arsenal of guitars. How many guitars you got? Probably twelve, yeah. or fifteen, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't keep track anymore. But I need, I need another one. <laughs> Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So I'll, I'll probably get another one after Christmas. Oh, it's going to be your New Year's gift? I think so. Your post-COVID <laughs> shutdown I'm, gift? I'm, I'm shooting for that, yeah. yeah. But it's it will 
almost undoubtedly be a Charvel. Sh- oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, those, yeah, the necks just, they fit my hand. Oh. Perfectly, so I'm not even going to, oh. I don't even try anymore. It's just like, I just look at this, if it's, if it's that kind of a neck. Wow. Yeah, that's a different topic. That's one of the that's... topics I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Which, choosing, choosing your instrument for the song. Oh, yeah. But that's kind of, yeah, well, that, it's kind that of helps like, me decide which way to take this song. I mean, if I'm going to do like a really, you know, kind of a Nile Rodgers funk kind of yeah. a thing, I'll probably grab my old Charvel and put it on this super thin single coil thing and add a touch of course and just start chunking it out. Oh, yeah. it sounds so good. Yeah. Sounds yeah. so good. Very, very but cool. if I wasn't, if I was going to do, you know, a little jazzier tune, then I'm going to grab my old brown strat, the, 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 the turd that Michael all used to call it the turd. <laughs> he hated working on that thing, but he did an amazing job on it. God rest his soul. Yeah. He was, that's, that guitar has always played perfect since he got it, since he got a hold of it. I yeah. Say. Wow. But if I, so if I need, if I need a really jazzy sound, that guitar is perfect for it. I mean, mm-hmm. cause I can almost, I can almost get a semi hollow body tone out of it. That's pretty remarkable. For being such a solid, heavy piece of wood, it's amazing the tones I can pull out of that thing. Mm-hmm. But if I want to do something very, you know, really, you know, you know, funky, it's like it's that that's too much guitar for that. It's just too hot of a signal, and it just doesn't work. So it doesn't fit that. It's certain styles. It's just a worthless guitar for certain styles. And that's probably why I have so many different guitars, because I'm always looking for that perfect sound for that song. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I need to I need to write a song now that needs a sound that I don't have yet, so I have a reason to go out and build another guitar. <laughs> you see how that works? You see how it works? All right. Way to justify it. Yeah. Nice. So you hear that, honey? <laughs> that's... That's how it works. As long as Jerry's happy, you're happy. Come on, be my sweet thing. When we kiss, the thought of risk just fades away. Halfway through, I feel you. done some projects using acoustic drums and and a lot of times you're using drum loops for your projects what when do you decide that you want to do acoustic stuff because i'm i'm doing acoustic work with you now absolutely yeah Yeah. 
um, probably the only times I'll I'll keep you know like MIDI drums or or audio drum loops in a song is if a they they feel natural enough that even if somebody like I have one friend in particular who's biased against anything other than live recorded drums. Oh yeah. So if if I so I kind of use him as my challenge in a way as if I can if if I have to use canned drums or MIDI loops or whatever even if I you know alter them slightly which I Of course you do. 99% of the time I will. Mm-hmm. Um if it if it passes his listen test you know, if, if he doesn't come back to me and the first thing says, it's like, well, yeah, I like it except for the the drums, then I know I probably got it okay. But I, if if I can use acoustic drums, I will. But it's just, in this day and age, it's not always possible. I mean, and nine, most of it's just schedules and just the logistics of getting set up and rehearsed to record these live drums you know some of the stuff it's it's too complex to pull off without a series of rehearsals and right. how, how do you schedule that these right. days with people working day jobs and so that's another one of the beauties of a home studio is you don't have to wait for that you know so if you got a song idea you can whip it out and if you want to redo it later with live instruments to replace you know mechanical ones and yeah that's great and that's what I've been doing for the last several years is recording everything that I could and just just to take advantage of the time and then go out and like if I want live drums on it and then I'll take those tracks. Um, I know a couple of drummers who can play good to a click and you're one of them. Thank you. Um, Paul Higgins is another one. Paul's amazing. Great and player, man. I'll just say here, this is the song. Here's the click. I'm not going to play you the drums that were on it that I used to get, to get the feel, but I got the feel. Mission accomplished. Now I need you to do it justice, and and it works every time with with the right drummer. Not everybody can record their part to a click, as if they Which were is, as if they were playing to a lot. It's, I don't I don't know. It's a some people can do it. Some people can't. It's absolutely essential for anybody who is considering studio work you need to be able not only to play with the click but you need to be able to do it accurately too which yeah. is and uh, still and maintain feel and if yeah if you're playing a click with a bunch of live musician recordings it's easier then yeah, yeah. yeah but sometimes a click can be a little distracting too but not i mean sometimes i'll i'll force i'll force the click on because the like the the downbeat is so critical sometimes, and you can't really you can't play off the feel of the of the downbeat unless you have that click going. Right. You know, unless you're playing with the live musicians live. Right. Then you don't need that click. Everybody's feeding off each other in real time. It's mm-hmm. all a human thing. But when it's human interacting with a machine, yeah, it's. Yeah, I so I I leave the click on. I force the click on, unless somebody in the studio that's using the click saying, "Hey, turn that off. It's messing me up." Right. And I'll I'll listen to the track and I'll oh yeah, it's messing you up. And if it's not messing them up, I'll just say no, it's not. No, just do another take. I've been in live rhythm section recording situations where the other musicians 
only want me on the click so they can play off me, which it gives it more of a more of a live feel. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And sometimes it's distracting to people to have to lock into that, just like you said. Oh yeah. And that's and I would do the same thing. If there was if the drummer's <laughs> got a click in his head, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear yeah. the drums. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't want to hear a click unless I have to. Right. Um, Unfortunately for me, most of the time in my studio, I got to have the click going on because I'm the only one in there. Yeah, that's right. I remember one session that I did years ago, and I've got the guitar player laying down tracks. We've got a click track going on. There were no drums, just using his as the foundation for the song. And he just he tore off the headphones and he goes, there's something wrong with this click track because it keeps <laughs> slowing down and speeding up. <laughs> this is a true story. And I've like looked at him and I said, you know, that's absolutely an impossibility because in the world of physics, 60 BPM is 60 BPM. It does not alter. <laughs> Pretty much. But I've, I've seen it alter ever so slightly over a number of measures where like one MIDI sync might not. Well, that's a, that's properly with boy, the other yeah. one, but that's a that's, that's a different a whole, that's a whole different day. To that's got nothing to do with you sucking. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. So, um, did it? Did a song? Oh, actually, I'm gonna back up. So, finishing up an EP with our mutual friend. Yeah, and. He wanted to do a song using samples. And my first intuition on that is always, I'll just create the samples here and we'll cut and paste them in the studio, make our own samples. And he wanted to use a machine, so he went out and dropped a ton of dough on a, on a drum sample playback thing. And I'm not going to mention the brand, there's no reason for that. Anyway, first of all, when we got it into the studio, the signal-to-noise ratio was absolutely over the top. It was ridiculous. I could, I mean, I couldn't... There was no feasible way I could even record it. There was so much noise in the line. Wow. And which is probably okay for live. I mean, it's not going to be that noticeable, but it was, it was really difficult because at some point, you know, you got to raise the gain, control the gain, yeah. and... And if you're trying to EQ the hiss out, you can sort of do that, but it was just, it was incredible. Yeah, and it then, almost makes me think there's like an, like an internal right. setting deep that needs right. to be it could, accessed. It could, could have, it could have been, there might have been some sort of preamp inside of it that he didn't know how to chase down. Yeah, some, some of those things have settings that are ridiculously deep, yeah, almost unusually right. it's deep. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> almost have to have a PhD to understand how yeah. to get into it. it. So anyway, and then I had also asked him to make sure that he brought in a machine with the signable outs because I want to control every single voice off of a sample playback machine. I want to be able to edit and, well, and shape the sound oh yeah the you way can't, that, right. you can't dial in the snare if the toms and the cymbals are right, right along with it that's that's exactly right that's exactly right but see that's another discussion too because we'll come back to that so anyway it didn't work and so we went black back to plan a 
And I'm telling you, man, it doesn't sound like a sample playback system. It sounds like there's a real drummer with the, with the, uh, everything that we did was, you know, we just created loops off the samples and it sounds great. Everything, everything on that track is a sample created here in the studio and you'll hear that. Even if I'm using like MIDI, you know, MIDI drums, like I'll use uh, I'll use addictive drums. Yeah. On some songs. Good stuff. It's, it's MIDI. The samples sound great. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it's very sensitive to just articulation and everything. So the the sample tracks that they have, you know, with it to choose from the different styles, they're all they're all obviously played by real drummers, just, you know, basically just recording right. into MIDI. Yeah, and those loops are not per- in they, perfect time. Oh, they're no, not. oh, no, no, they're a mess. You you can look at them under a MIDI microscope, basically, and you can see, okay, it's not perfect at all. They, no. they didn't quantize anything. They no. just They just got the feel. They say, oh, this is, a, you know, shuffle rock feel number two or whatever they call it, and you play it, and you go, oh, it's great. But you load it in there, and if you, like, set it to loop, from you know measure one to measure five does it make one it? <laughs> and then you just loop those four measures sometimes it lunges you, you skip that you you skip yeah. that downbeat kick drum because it's anticipated and it doesn't make it into the that's right first measure that's so, exactly right yeah i mean that 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 you know split yeah. second feel is there right yeah you know and then, and you can ruin it by quantizing the clip and making a perfect sample, yeah. you know, a loopable sample. But then it's, it sounds like shit. Yeah. Basically, you just, you ruined it yeah. at that point. Right. Yeah. I, and what I want to do, what I really want to do next is have a, an electronic kit in the studio again so that anybody can come over and just play it. The sounds are incredible. But I don't know what it feels like to a drummer playing like oh, that. It's to those sounds on like, you know, trigger pads. Well, I used to do it for years. But yeah, it it's a great way to record at home without waking up the neighborhood. Yeah, side note, or going through a big setup and miking process. Which I mean, if I'm going right. to do that at my house, it has to be the living room, and that's right. That's a lot. One session is a lot of wear and tear on the house. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 
Side note, I did a gig years ago. I used to use Roland TD-10s for performing needs just because there was a way to control the volume on stage, yeah. you know. And we did this one show, and the the band that we were warming up from had come up from L.A., and I offered offered the drummer to use the Roland TD-10, and he said, dude, playing plastic drums is like being with a plastic lady. That <laughs> was like, okay, you know, right on, man. But I, I totally understand that. Now, I, I would use samples, but I do not like using pads. I still, to this day, even for me, even the advances of technology, it's still just... Yeah, maybe to Almost using, all of them are not there. Yeah, I mean... But for I, I've quick, seen I've for, seen people yeah. use, you know, yeah. pads for just... And, you know, yeah. triggering effect, or it's like, right. you know, God, there's this really killer gong symbol that right. I can program right here. I don't have to buy a $5,000 gong. I can just <laughs> hit this and carry it around pad, and boom, I've got a gong sound. All right. You're only going to use that gong once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that's, that's when the singer's going to say, don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's... Uh, yeah, I yeah, in in the studio, anything that can help you influence what direction you want to take a song, man, just use it. So why don't we talk about some of the work that you did with Paul it, it, uh, when you had him go into another recording studio and just lay down the drum tracks? What's your yeah. favorite song from one of those projects? Oh God, probably. Uh... It'd probably be like one of the Stone Lantern ones because that was probably one of the trickiest sessions for Paul to do because me and John, we recorded 10 or 11 songs completely in my room, in my studio to, you know, without drums to have, specifically to have Paul play on them afterwards. And he just, he nailed every single one. Um, I think one of my, one of my favorite ones is uh, Still, Still Want Love. And it's actually the last song on the album because we, I think at the time we just thought of it as like that's the weakest one. It's, it's, it's a little bit off from the style of the rest of the record, maybe right. a little bit. But funny how that happens. Yeah, but I listen to it now and it's just there's, I don't know, there's just something about that song that just grabs me. It's don't want love. I like I like what I did with the guitar on that because mm -hmm. it's very. Uh, it's I'm I'm not even sure where it came from. It doesn't sound like me playing. I don't know where some of the lines came from, but when we were in the studio and Paul's just playing along with just a click and just nailing these songs, and a lot of them were just like, you know, first take, or maybe, you know, it was like we'd cut him in, you know, like for the last 10 measures or something where he, he missed a roll or something, just real simple stuff. But other than that, it was a it was an easy session. The songs feel great. Um, there's no time where you listen to it and you think, you know, oh, the drums were recorded after everybody else. I mean, most of the time it sounds and feels live. And I, I credit the drumming for... That's Paul. For holding that together because he came in after everything was done. He had absolutely no influence on the feel of any of the songs. So he had to adapt to what we had already done. And capture the feel right. that we were conveying based on the drum loops that we were playing right. to. And he did it perfectly. Yeah, and a lot of times you can tell 
that the drums were recorded after the fact because they kind of lag and they're a little bit behind. Yeah. And that, that's why it, it takes a special kind of musician to be able to record um, final tracks to live musicians with just a click. Yeah, or Where, or without, just take the click out yeah. and they play totally off the field. I mean, of the, and of I would people. say more, yeah, maybe drummers and percussionists more than anybody else, because you know, I mean, if all you're playing to is guitar and bass tracks, and there's absolutely no, I mean, nothing but just a click going, it's it's wide open, mm -hmm. you know, and we didn't when we did that, we didn't coach Paul at all. We just, you know, I gave him the tapes to practice to before we went to the studio. So, I mean, he wasn't going in blind. Right. But we never said, oh, right here we, we're looking for something like this, or right here we're looking for something like this. We just, we just let him just do it. And most of the time he surprised us with when we were thinking of one thing and he did something else, which was always, always better. A anything he did was, if his ideas were different than ours, they were usually better because he's a drummer. Right. You know. I've proven that. I've I've programmed drums as best as I could and thinking I did a really good job. I play it back and go, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I don't have to play it to what, a what real do you drummer mean, you don't, say, okay, you don't well, think what? like a drummer? No, I, uh, I, I, I try to. Number one, your knuckles don't drag on the ground, so you're... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Maybe I'm too smart <laughs> to Maybe. think like a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Still would... Want Love and uh, yeah, well... Half Alive. That one's, that one's cool because uh, in the studio... I don't know how Paul nailed that one with just a click in the instruments, but he did. It's not that complex, but it's... It's a little different. And You're still getting that feel. At the beginning of that project, that was actually one of my least favorite songs. Because it reminded me of R.E.M. You but got then, something against R.E.M.? I never liked them. <laughs> just, not, my, not my cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. But uh, by the time we got done with it, it didn't remind me of R.E.M. anymore. So I thought, Very oh, good. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And then... And then I got my parts on there, and I was digging my parts, and I liked the song a lot more. And then it, then it ended up being like one of my favorite tracks on the record. It was Half Alive. Interesting how that happens. And then Still Want Love is the last song on the record, and that's that's like up in my top two. But but they're, yeah, I listen back to them now, and I go, you know, that's not a bad record. Not a bad record at all. Very retro. You know, we recorded it in 2007, but, you know, it, it sounds and... It feels like it's, uh, 
you know, maybe a late 70s, you know, style of music. Yeah. Which is fine with me. That's kind of where I was when I was starting to get the feel for music. Yeah. And that's the that's the the era that John grew up in. And, you know, his songwriting kind of comes from there. And it just kind of fit right in. And those the approach to recording those tunes was all based on how John wrote the songs. I mean, they, they came out sounding like retro 70s rock tunes. Mm-hmm. And I kept them that way. I said, let's, make, let's try to make these things sound and feel like a, like a 70s rock band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and I, I think we did it. You know, it might, I think it turned out all right. Um, some of them I tried to make them a little heavier, just like, you know, I always do that. My guitar parts were just absolutely ridiculously out of place, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm really good at that a lot. I mean, especially at the beginning of a song, I try so much different stuff that people they probably think I'm crazy and they don't realize that, you know, I'm just experimenting. I'm just looking, you know, and I, just because I recorded the track doesn't mean, oh, Stick with that one. I played it perfectly, <laughs> but no, it sounds like, you know, I don't want to come off sounding like, you know, a metal god, you know, playing a ballad. Like, if it comes <laughs> off like that, okay, I got the style, I got the style wrong. But I'm not afraid to try anything in front of anybody, mm-hmm. as long as they realize that, hey, we're just experimenting now. Nothing's, nothing's set in stone until I say, this is ready to mix. Um, you can't call me crazy. Because if I haven't said, all right, this is ready to mix, then I'm still playing with something. I'm still looking for something. And I don't know, maybe not even what it is, but until I stop and say, it's ready to mix, that means there's something missing. Yeah. Classic example, next tune that I'm going to talk about. A good friend of mine hooked up with a vocalist, asked me for a a 12-8 drum track, scratch track, gave it to him. Those two got together, based the song off off the 
scratch drum track and then just guitar scratch vocals and that scratch drum track brought it back and then we looked at it and asked ourselves what are we going to do with this thing how are we going to approach this and my idea was let's just strip it down we're we're not i'm I'm really, I really love to like put in like four or five different guitar parts, throw them across the mix. Yeah. But you know, this is kind of a, a really simple blues style tune. And so we just decided, okay, we're going to do bass, drums, one guitar, and we're going to throw keyboards on it. And that's it. And by keeping the thing really simple. It was probably the most effective way to do that song because yeah. it doesn't need all the other goodies. I mean, it's right. a it's a stripped down blues style of tune. It doesn't need to be overly complex. Exactly. And boy, it was effective. And you'll hear that track too. So yeah, yeah. you'll get a snippet of that one. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Uh, that's the difference between like taking a song and somebody says, "Hey, I got this song. Let's record it." And then you're looking at you, you know, you're, you're fiddling around with some of the parts on an instrument, whether it's keyboards, guitar, bass, drums, whatever, trying to decide, okay, yeah, you know, okay, so how should we do this? And then just like you said, that one you ended up doing just a really stripped down, stripped down, blues yeah, style, band yeah. Yeah. version of it. You yeah, know? very stripped down. Um, my Not first, my first instinct might have been looking at it, and I might have, I might have done something, you know, a little funkier drum beat on it, and started off there. It's just, you never know where that can go, you know. That's right. why I like when, uh, when Wicked Snake Bite's a good example. Mm -hmm. My my partner Joey, he comes over, and he's he usually has a a chord progression and some, you know, maybe some words, maybe a little melody going on, and and that's it. Just on the piano, a little, little melody thing. And then I'll just start going, all right, how are we going to do this? And the Wicked Snake Bite stuff evolves in real time as we're recording stuff. That's, okay, that's, that's cool. That's what makes that so unique. Mm -hmm. But it's it's always the same thing. It's like, here's this just raw idea, and and it turns into something in the studio based on the decisions you make to how do we play this musical idea. Do we use 15 instruments? Do we use one 
you know, how do you do it? You've approached it both ways, right. or several ways. Yeah. So that's that's different than sitting in the studio and fiddling around with some drum beats and then and writing a new song, coming up with something new off the cuff like that in real time in the studio. Those styles almost always define themselves just from the nature of the, that moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, if I put on a drum beat and it makes me go, oh, wow, this is this is kind of a shuffly little country groove going on and mm-hmm. I start filling around with something that sounds like that, if that's going to turn into a song eventually, it's going to be a shuffly little country tune because that's that was the original mm, inspiration in the first place and mm-hmm. you almost can never get rid of that, you know, and and that that from when that happens to me, that that style is set in stone. I have a hard time straying from that as a writer if I uh, if I conceived of the song as a country tune, it's going to end up being a country tune. I have a hard time changing it to something else later. It's weird, yeah. and it's just something that's built into me. I just it, it just gets set in stone. It's like uh, anything other than that doesn't feel right because this is what happened in the first place. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's it's almost like post traumatic stress. It's like I'll never <laughs> I'll never forget that beat. <laughs> And if I never forget the song, then it is true PST. PSTD? Is that what they call it? Post-traumatic P-T- stress syndrome? PTSD. Yeah, PTSD. I don't know what the D stands for. Post-traumatic stress disorder. There we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of like my thought process. Very disordered. What's the matter with you? Post-traumatic stress, dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe PTSD is a response. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So what have been some of your favorite live rhythm section tracks? Oh. Ooh. I would say probably probably Groundhog Day. Oh. Wow. I mean, that, that's going way back. Yeah. But that one, when when we played that, we uh, we recorded that live in our studio in, when Wynn Studio was in Woodenville, or Duval, actually. It was in Duval, in my buddy's garage. Paul was uh, set up in a drum room that we built in the garage, and to- totally soundproof, so he his whole kit was set up in there. I had my... X100B stack in the control room with me. Uh-huh. And so I'm I'm playing with Paul through the headphones and I'm tracking the drums for uh, Groundhog Day and oh, it was a blast. Yeah. I mean and he nailed it and it's just the oh yeah, they sound great. I mean and we were still we were very novice at the time. But well, that's think, a great that's a great example. Yeah. I think they, yeah, we'll I think listen to that one. The too. one thing, the one thing uh, I I feel like I got pretty pretty right on that was the drum track because the the mix is good, the the kick drum is just it's right. punchy, the snare right. is there, um, and I, the guitars are probably I've I've gotten way better at tracking the guitars. They're they're kind of they're kind of thin on that song for for my taste nowadays. Right. But and the original tracks were on tape. Those tapes are gone. I can't. Did you have a bass player there at that session too? 
No, because I did the bass. Okay, yeah. I did. I did you everything. Out the bass I did afterwards. everything but the drums. Yeah, yeah. So, but when we recorded the drums, it was drums and rhythm guitar. Yeah, it was all that song was all as far as the structure and just the the rhythmic play. Right. It was all between the the guitar and uh, rhythm guitar and the drums. Yeah. And the bass, following along with that, the lead guitar was all over the place. Yeah. But that was just yeah. The rhythm guitar and the drums were just solid. Well, it, it helps that you had a good player, but of course, Paul has got an incredible ear, and so he has a high-quality drum set, which makes all the difference. Oh, yeah, and and he tunes them before yeah. he records them. Tunes. He tunes them before he plays tunes, live. Tune the drums? Um, what? Yeah. We've started gigs late because he was tuning his drums, <laughs> which is perfectly okay. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. Yeah, side note for me, uh, I don't try to tune my drums into any particular key, but what I do is that I hate rattling snares, and usually that's because the the overtones in the tom-toms are at the same frequency as the snares that there are themselves. So in order to get, instead, instead of trying to tape up the snares, yeah. I just tune the toms so they... So, oh, the so snare, they don't, don't don't rattle the snare. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, because yeah. I mean it's I drums. Wish, uh, I would love to be in that as a profession to where one of the tasks is okay. Get the drums tuned for this song. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah for each song that would yeah. be that would be ideal. You know, I think that's I think that's okay. But if you say if you're doing a band album project. You kind of want to maintain the same drum sound from song to song, unless unless you're trying to variate, do variations on your styles. Yeah, or unless uh, I mean, yeah, if it's a project, yeah, yeah, do it all together. Yeah, if but it's just that, like but that we're recording a hit single. We're recording a hit single. Yeah, that do no, a different approach. Whatever you want, yeah. but in that, but that requires making sure that you tune the drums identically. Every single session, yeah. Because even with an HVAC studio, just just from the impact of the drumsticks, every time you hit the hit the head, it just changes the sound just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, retuning the drums to the precise um, frequency that you that through the entire project that's that is a huge art, huge art. Yeah. And that's time consuming. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's, it's time consuming. Time consuming. Yeah, but, but it's, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do anything right, even in the home studio realm, everything takes time. Everything takes yeah. a lot of time. I mean, the the better results that you want, um, just the the more time you take to to just to be proper about how you do it. Not that there's rules, but there there I mean there are some there there are basics that you just abide by. Yeah. You know, to to just get it right. Like tune the instruments. I mean, signal to noise ratio. Oh, yeah. Do do your best to just to get the best sounds that you can. Yeah. And your song's going to be better, your mixing's going to yeah. be easier, mastering will be funner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not trying to correct things in mastering, which is a horrible thing to do. Yeah, um, and just and your the stylings are gonna feel a lot better. Yeah.
tuning's super super critical. Uh, project that I'm working on, we're working on Darnell Scott's album that's going to come out sometime in the future. <laughs> one, of these, one, of these <laughs> one, one of these days. One of these days. But it, anyway, my friend Michel Boyer um, has a beautiful American Telecaster, and it's just, man, the tonality's great. So we, we recorded one guitar track with an American Strat through that deluxe that's yeah. in the in the hallway, which I know that you're jonesing the plug into. Mm-hmm. And then we did the Telecaster through the Rivera. And then we also did, uh, is it a, I think it's a Martin that he has, acoustic guitar. And so we made sure that we tuned every single cut not that the cars are going out of tune but just to make sure yeah you know just to make sure i mean just a, a, the tuning process uh wasn't that detriment detrimental to our time but we just wanted to make sure that we had the proper frequencies and uh, on everything because i mean a guitar intonation can go out just like that oh yeah yeah and I, and two guitars playing together Oh, I mean, yeah. you're always going to get a slight flange, yeah. chorus thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's just flat out annoying. Yeah, and, and, and it needs to be it yeah. needs to be redone, or you take that double right. track and you just right. eliminate it if you can't get it close. Yeah, and so with the with acoustic guitar, it it was playing the same style as the electric as the Strat. It like there was there was too many cross frequencies. Like it was just like, you know, I've I've already got those frequencies in the guitar track. I need I need a kind of like a mariachi kind of concept. Yeah. And so Mikey decided that well, you know what, I'm going to capo up on this for the higher frequencies, and so he did the capo, and of course the capo screws with the intonation. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. And so there it was. Uh, every time we recut the acoustic guitar track i mean seriously it, it it was the guitar was out of tune after every every oh, track yeah. and it was yeah. because of the capo yeah and so you just gotta you gotta be careful about yeah about yeah. tuning capos it. actually take practice yeah <laughs> yeah me and john had a few tunes that we had to capo up for yeah live yeah and when you're doing that live you yeah i was like i never i've never used a capo until Playing with John, and yeah, there's a couple of tunes. It's like, oh, I guess I kind of have to. I was, I was prided myself on, I don't need a capo, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play this. I'll do it without the. Yeah. I can. I've gotten away my yeah. entire life without doing the capo until John came along and yeah. ruined everything. Yeah, and then I think what what was the? Beatles? But I got pretty good at at Beatles. I, I figured capos. out. I figured out how to get the capo on there, you know, mm-hmm. without. Knocking the damn thing out of tune. Right. What what song was it? Oh yeah, here comes the sun. I think was they used a capo on that. I think uh, that's one of the ones. I think I did use it. Oh no, yeah. I used to. Yeah. And then I dropped it. I told John, I'm doing this without the capo. I yeah. can do this without. Did the it cable. sound the same? Oh uh, yeah, it worked okay. out. It yeah. worked out just yeah. as good. Yeah. I've got I've got recordings of of both ways. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I always played. I I like I like doing it better without the capo. Mm-hmm. But then we did uh, we did a Clapton tune, and it was way better with the capo. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I 
I don't think I've ever seen Clapton use a capo, but I I don't think he did. Well, it was just this song that me and John did. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it worked a lot better with a capo. Yeah. Was that one that goes, starts out like... uh, The the one that goes... (laughs) Bell Bottom Blues. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I did that with a capo. I'm not sure. I don't know if we did it in a different key or what. I mm-hmm. I, I didn't probably. Study, I didn't right. study it that much. Yeah. But um, no. But the way we played that song, I think we both capoed up and it was that part. That was part of your set list. Yeah. Yeah. How's yeah, that project going? Are you guys still going to continue doing that, or is it is it geographically difficult now that he lives oh, over? Oh yeah, on and with with COVID and all that, it's just yeah. like yeah, live live gigs is where we're just. Everybody's too busy and distracted to yeah. even think of that. Yeah, and concerned. A lot of folks are really concerned. Yeah. So, no, just home studio work for now. Yeah, well, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So is there anything else we need to cover today? What are you thinking? I think we went off on a lot of good tangents. Yeah, we sure did. Yeah. Di- perfect. We, we digress readily and easily. Yeah, and, and predictably. Yeah. Predictably digressive. <laughs> That's right. I yeah. like it. That's right. All but, right, man. Anyway, um, approaching song styles in the studio is, it can be important if you have definite goals in mind. If you're just playing around, just play around. But if, you've, if you have a song and you've just chord progression, a melody, some words, nothing behind it, it's just all on paper, then the world is wide open and... One of my favorite things to do is to take that tune and let's try it like a straight-ahead rock tune. Let's let's try it like a ballad. Do it like a reggae tune. You never know. One one of them's gonna grab you, and you, unexpectedly you're gonna go, "This is great," and then you'll finish it in that style. Yeah. And then you'll be you'll be happy that you did something totally unique that you never would have thought of if you weren't playing around in your studio so go for it yeah well said all right hey brian at mac and cheese adam pachowski win studio music yeah out for now see you later i just wanted to thank everybody for listening to today's podcast hey bruno you got anything else to say carpe diem Seize the day, boys! Hey, you want more mac and cheese? Mac and cheese music dot blog on YouTube at Brian at Mac and Cheese, Instagram and Twitter, www.macandcheese.com. And thank you, Anchor.fm, for hosting this podcast. Take it away, Bruno! Hasta la vista, baby. Oh.